Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Our sponsor today is our favorite option for online counseling with a spiritually informed and professionally licensed counselor. Visit faithfulcounseling.com slash the savvy sauce to receive 10% off your first month. I hope your summer is off to an amazing start. And if this is your first time here at the savvy sauce, welcome. You are joining us in a season of re-releasing the top 10 episodes from 2020. And today's message is something parents can relate to probably every day. Author and speaker Arlene Pelicane is joining us as the guest today for number eight from 2020, Technology and Parenting. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Arlene. It's great to be with you. And listeners probably already know you, but will you share just a little bit more about yourself? Sure. I have been so blessed to be able to write and speak. So I had my first book come out in 2010, and that was 31 Days to a Younger You. And I interviewed people 40 to 100 to find out, how did you do that? And I kind of like this whole 31 days idea so that you could have change in your life, but it not be too overwhelming. So I wrote 31 Days to a Happy Husband, Happy Wife, etc. After that, my other books include Parents Rising and Calm, Cool and Connected and Growing Up Social, which is with Dr. Gary. Chapman about raising relational kids in a screen-driven world. So I know I am not alone that many of us are concerned with, okay, wait a minute, how come our kids are on screen so much and they're not talking to us? So I just wanted to write books to be able to reach people with that hot topic. And I have a high schooler and a middle schooler and an elementary schooler. So we've got one in every branch right now. That's incredible. I'm sure that those three ages keep you very busy. But you are such an accomplished speaker and author. So how did you begin this career? Yeah, God is so amazing. So a lot of it is, you know, whatever you are doing right now, sometimes you'll think like, oh, what's this for? But it is preparation for what you will do in the future. So take heart in that. I have my master's degree in journalism. I was interested on in doing television. So I worked for the 700 Club for a while as a reporter, but then I moved away. So lost that opportunity, but then it turned into something else. I worked with Dr. David Jeremiah, who has an amazing ministry, worked with their radio and television program. And then when I became pregnant and was going to come home to be a mom, we had always talked about me coming home. And so I was home and freelance writing. And my husband said, you know, you've always dreamt of writing your own book. Why don't you give it a try? And that's how it all got started. Oh, that's incredible. And how old were your kids at that point? Yeah, there's probably, I have to do a little bit of math here, but I think maybe four. My oldest was of three or four when I started doing that. Yeah. And do those talents that you talked about, do they come naturally to you or did you feel like you had to cultivate them over time? I was that weird girl in junior high that was like, oh, I just gave a speech and I thought that was really fun. (laughs) So that's how it started. I thought, well, I really like this. So when I was in college, I would think about, well, how in the world can I make a living doing speeches? (laughs) Like, what does a 21-year-old know? So that just began me, you know, on a, a road down doing communication and doing different things. But I have always enjoyed speaking. So that's something that comes naturally to me that I like. And then I figured, oh, so many of these speakers, they have books. So maybe I should 
try to learn that. And I had enjoyed writing articles, you know, wrote for the yearbook in high school, those kinds of things. So they were like skill sets that I already possessed but that I needed to grow. So I have definitely taken many conferences, gone to many seminars, listened to many things, you know, to try to grow. So yes, innate stuff, but it all takes effort as well. Definitely. It sounds like a both and. Yes. I love how you say that God wastes nothing. Then I find that to be very encouraging. So do you have any tips for someone who may feel like being a speaker or author is also their calling in life, yeah. but they're not quite where you're at yet. So there are so many things I could say, but let me distill it down to this. So it would be look for opportunities. So whenever you're speaking, you know, my first speaking engagements were to the nursing home and I would go and when they had activity time, like I would do a little 10 minute talk or it might be to a local mops group or a mom's group and they might give you a hug and say, thanks so much for coming, you know, and that's how you get started. And so look for places that could have you speak so that you can have practice. And sometimes you're waiting because you're just waiting like for the opportunity to come to you. But sometimes you have to take that first step to put yourself out there. And I know that's the part that people are usually like, oh, I don't want to do that. So maybe it's just talking to your own church and saying, hey, I would love to speak for such and such a group if you would consider it. So just kind of be searching for those opportunities to speak and then look for ways to grow. And that could be going to a conference, attending a writer's conference. Look for conferences in your area or maybe even outside of your area that you can attend. And, you know, look for resources, for instance, Proverbs 31 has an amazing training program called Compel that is for writers and speakers. They also have a summer conference that's called She Speaks. So things like that. Take that step of faith and you will learn more and grow more. Those are really helpful, practical tips. Okay, you said you started when your oldest was around four. So were you doing these things even in the little years when you were home with your kids? (laughs) Totally. So very much like you have little ones as well. So I remember, you know, it would be nap time. And when the kids napped, I wrote. And when they were awake, like I would write and I'd put like little blocks next to me and they would, you know, play with them next to me. So all of that. So God really multiplied those little hours because they were few and far between, but it can be done. I love it. And now fast forwarding to a little bit later, you have written this book with Dr. Gary Chapman, like you alluded to, and it's called Growing Up Social. So I just want you to vision cast for us why this is important and how you think it will impact listeners' lives if they do use this wisdom and healthy stewardship with technology. Yeah, this is so huge. So on the cover of the book, you can picture a cute little girl and a cute little boy and they're dressed up and they're at a table with candlelight and tablecloth, but they're both on their phones. They're facing opposite directions, sitting on the phone. And this is what we don't want. We don't want to raise children who, when they are of the dating age and when they get married, we don't want them to get a text that's like, okay, babe, let's do this. (laughs) Another one texts back like emoji and you're like, oh, is that a yes or no? We don't want that for our kids. And yet with kids getting attached to screens younger and younger, they're missing out on a lot of this life skills that are necessary. So the heart of this book is, you know what? Technology is all around us and it can be used for good. So it's not an anti-technology book. But as a parent, you have to be really proactive about how you use it 
or else it will take over. And there are a lot of myths out there like, oh, if I don't get my child on technology, they're going to be at a disadvantage when they grow up. But you know as well as I do that you can give a two-year-old an iPad and in 30 seconds they're like doing stuff on it. Like it's not that hard to learn. But that same child over time, if all they know is the iPad, what's going to happen when they have to read this book for college or they have to sit through a shift at work that's not that exciting or they have a relational problem and they can't just unfriend this person, you know, so there's a lot that kids have to learn that unfortunately they are being robbed of learning because of technology. And so how do you think we do raise these relational kids who, like you said, will someday enjoy a strong marriage? So a lot of it is modeling it. So what do your kids, whether they're two or they're 22, what do they see you and your spouse doing? So if they see, oh, look, all they do is watch Netflix all day and text and do social media. So they're seeing, oh, I guess this is how it works. And I'm not saying that at all to be harsh or to make you feel like, oh, my word, I feel so guilty. No, but just examine it yourself. First, we've got to get a hold of that, of our technology, so that we can model this is what a relationship looks like to our kids. You know, I have um, one child who they were talking to a friend and their friend was saying, oh, when my mom and dad come home, we're not supposed to talk to them. And for five minutes, they just sit on the couch and they talk to each other, you know, and although that's not something that my husband and I do, we both work from home, so we kind of see each other a lot, but that's a good practice. Then those kids see, oh, they put their relationship first. So how are you modeling it? And then a lot of it is teaching. Courtesy doesn't come automatic. So to teach your child, oh, when someone comes in the room, you look away from your device or you put down what you're doing. You look at the person in the eyes and you say, hello, or nice to meet you, or what's your name? So just teaching common courtesy that used to be common, but now it's like if you have a child that meets a stranger and like looks at them and shakes their hand, the stranger will be like, oh, you should run for president. You're very accomplished. <laughs> you know, it's just like that. That really wasn't that big of a deal. So insist on those common courtesies. Insist on mealtimes that are device-free so that you're having conversation. Uh, we recently had a birthday party for my middle schooler. She's in eighth grade. And last year, it was kind of a crash and burn because it was all new to us. My daughter doesn't have a phone, but her friends have phones. And I didn't say anything about it because I didn't want to be the killjoy. And it turned out last year, it was like, oh, that wasn't very fun. A lot of the girls were just on their phones the whole time. So this year, we had the girls check in their phones right when they came in the door and then leave them there until it was time to leave. And they did so good. So it's just having as a parent these ideas that you will enforce to make sure that the relationships will be nurtured without the interruption of devices. I think those are great ideas to get us brainstorming. And I remember just being shocked with one of the things you wrote about. You said the average American child and teenager spends 53 hours a week with media and technology, far more time in front of screens than interacting with parents or people. And it looks like that study was done in 2002. So I can't even imagine the results now. Right. How much time. And this is a huge problem because all that time that your kids are spending on YouTube playing video games, even if you look at the content and you say, oh, it's innocuous, it's not that harmful, but you just look at the sheer time 
that they're spending, that they could be learning something else. You know, so Malcolm Gladwell in his book Outliers had talked about this 10,000 hour rule that to be good at something, if you practice it, you do it for 10,000 hours, you play tennis for 10,000 hours, you're going to be pretty good. Well, the average kid now is leaving with 10,000 hours out of our homes in YouTube or gaming or social media. So they may be good at those things, but wow, can you imagine if instead we were like, we're going to spend 5,000 of those hours serving others, and we're going to spend another 5,000 of those hours learning an instrument. Your result is so different if you won't let your kids just kind of be sedentary with their devices. You can give them a whole new trajectory. And it sounds like that will take intentionality on our parts as parents but that the fruit of that comes later on. And it sounds very worthwhile. Yes, it does. So people will say like, oh, it's so hard, though, because my child is so into their device. And I just have to say, wherever you're at, today is the right day to evaluate and pull back because it's only going to get harder as your children get older. So if you have young kids, like, you know, our kids from the very beginning knew we don't have video games available in the house. Okay, we're not going to get a cell phone like everybody else. Okay, I guess I don't get my own iPad. So they knew that growing up. So it wasn't ever a fight. Like people will say, my goodness, you have a sophomore in high school and he doesn't play video games and he doesn't give you problems about that. It's because he from the very beginning was told this isn't part of your life. So if you can reach your kids early, you're going to have greater success. But if your kids are 12, 15, et cetera, and they're entrenched in something, you still can go back and make a difference. So there's always hope. Always hope. So after releasing this book, what stories have you heard from readers about the positive impact that it made on their family once they applied these principles? Yeah. I love hearing back when people say things like, oh, we were watching TV every night or we had the TV on during dinner and we stopped doing that. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, the whole atmosphere of the house changed. Or another mom who had said it was just out of control because every day, you know, the kids are like, can I use the iPad? Can I watch TV? Can I watch one more hour? And she, you know, her kids are small. It's like three kids under five and it's exhausting. I answering all these questions all day long. Can I do this? Let me just watch this. And she just said, you know what? I've been reading this book and we're just going to take a total break for one week. And she said the difference in her home was night and day that within a week's time, her boys weren't asking all those questions. They were finding other things to do. They were arguing less. They were nicer to her. And so just those kinds of stories, I think, are really meaningful. Yes, that encouragement propels others, I'm sure, to want to try. Do you have any practical suggestions? Like if you do take the screens or the technology away or at least minimize them, what else can you put in its place at different phases? Yeah, and this is when we get to be a student of our children. And just know, like, sometimes you'll suggest things and they'll be a great hit. And then other times it'll be like, okay, guess that's not for you. <laughs> and that is okay. So you do want to do something different. So it's not like, okay, I've taken your iPad away and now you're staring at the wall for two hours. You know, 
books are obviously great. And then don't give up on this because you might go to the library and you're finding books that are interesting to your child. So you're looking for things that would pique their interest. Maybe they love trucks or they love Star Wars or they love crafts, whatever it is. And you're looking for those interests. You're getting them just gobs and gobs of books from the library about this. And at first, if they don't take to it, don't give up. Just keep going to the library, keep doing those books, read aloud, maybe just for 10 minutes together. And after a while, you most likely what you're going to see is that child is going to warm up to the idea and start reaching out to those books. And that's really that magic moment that you want, because if you can have a reader in your home, so many wonderful things will happen. First of all, they will do much better in school. Second of all, it opens up a whole new world to them, right? There's so much you can read, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. And so it opens up this whole new portal of the world and their heart. And that's all a good thing. So I think reading is a huge one. Obviously, sports, any kind of sport that they like, whether it's an organized sport, a lesson, going to a lesson kind of sport, or just going outside with a basketball and getting a hoop, you know, so it could be either way organized or not organized instruments. All three of my kids play the piano. So find something, you know, start. And yes, those are investments, but they are very healthy for your children. And don't be afraid to do that. And you know, what? we did things together. So our kids did martial arts when they were in elementary school. And my husband came home one day and was like, Oh, I found the studio that we'll be going to. And guess what? We're going to go to the classes too. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, they said, if you enroll the kids that the parents are free. And I kid you not, Laura, we were the only parents in there for several years. It'd be all these short little tiny kids. And my husband, James and I in the back with our blue dragon t-shirts learning these moves. And the first time I was like, this is ridiculous. There's no way I can do this. But it turned out to be this amazing experience. So if you can find even humbling yourself, some kind of activity you can do with your kids, that's even more magical because then when they're grown up, they can come back and they can mountain bike with you or they can ski with you or skate with you or play pool with you or play chess with you. And that's a really, really good thing to start building into the system. That is fantastic. And that sounds so fun to take martial arts together as a family. (laughs) (laughs) From your research and even studies that have been done on the brain, what has been discovered about media use? Yeah, there are so many things. There's a new study that's happening of over 11,000 kids that the National Institute of Health is doing. They're watching these kids for 10 years. And already they have found it linked that the more they're watching on screens, then the less they perform on cognitive tasks and like test taking and reading and things like that. So two hours of screen time or more a day is leading to decreased scores in, you know, reading, comprehension, things like that. And then they also see a premature thinning of the cortex. And the cortex is this part of our brain that helps us process the five senses. And usually this starts to decline as we get older, like in our 60s. And so to be see that children who are on screens too much, they're not using their five senses, right? They're not tasting and smelling and walking and moving and falling and touching and skinning their knees and all these things. And that part of the brain is beginning to thin even in children. So this is huge. So for us as parents to realize my child's brain is in development from the time they're born till the time they're 25, Like that brain is still being formed. And even though my 18-year-old might look like an adult, my 18-year-old does not have the brain of an adult. And for us to realize that prefrontal cortex is still 
being molded. And that's the part that's like the executive secretary in the brain that says, hey, you've eaten too much. You know, you've been playing this game for five hours. You really should go take a shower. You know, it's this part of our brain that regulates mood and has self-control and discipline. And that is the part of the brain that's developing. But unfortunately, they've done these studies where when a child is playing a video game, for instance, as they're playing the game, the blood doesn't go to the prefrontal cortex. The blood goes to this other part of the brain that just does basic functioning like breathing and just all these really basic functions. And what happens is there's no blood to the prefrontal cortex. And that's the reason why your child playing video games and you're like, hello, you've been playing for one hour. Do you not have to go to the bathroom or do something? And your child's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Because that part that makes the decisions of the brain is totally dark. It's not getting anything. And at the same time, when a child is on video games, on screens, et cetera, then they're getting all these dopamine bursts in their brain. And the dopamine is the pleasure center. Like, wow, this is fun. Wow, this is fun. And what happens is they're getting too much fun. So it's like your brain going to Disneyland every single day instead of once every year or however often you can make it, right? So that's very important for us to realize as parents and grandparents is, hey, my child's brain needs rest. It can't be constantly on and entertained. It's the same way like us, even if we like going to a party, we don't want to be at a party 14 hours a day, every single day of our lives, right? It's the same thing for kids. Their brains need a rest. So that is a huge caution flag for us as parents. Wow. And from my understanding with the dopamine as well, like you're saying, it may sound really exciting to have such high levels, but then over time, you demand, your brain demands more and more and more, and it becomes unrealistic. And sometimes that's when people can crash or experience depression or it can lead to so many yeah. other negative things. Is that what you've found as well? Yes, that's exactly right. Because the dopamine, it can't be that excited. So after a while, it's like, okay, too much excitement. So it starts shutting down. And they will actually start losing brain cells because the brain cells will start making less receptors to receive this dopamine because they're like, oh, way too much, way too much. Let's downregulate. Let's downregulate. Not as many receptors. And then it takes longer for a child to experience the same high. So they need a different game that's more stimulating or they need more time to get to that point. So so on the one hand, your child is like more, more, more. But from the brain perspective, they're like too much dopamine. We need to stop. We need to stop. And so that is very important to see that, wait a minute, my child could be killing their own brain cells because they're just overdoing it. There's another hormone, serotonin, and that one is the one that like boosts mood and happiness and all those kinds of things. And that one cannot be overdone. That one you can have as much as you want in your brain and your brain loves it. And that's kind of through proper nutrition, sleep, things like that. That's how that that levels up. So you can kind of see that in your child. Okay, if I can increase sleep and increase nutrition, and if I can decrease sugar and lots of screen time, you could kind of see how, oh, that that would kind of help my child, wouldn't it? Wow, that is mind blowing. So maybe we can contrast it now. What happens cognitively when we do something more purposeful, such as engaging socially or reading? Does that increase serotonin? I do not know if that increases serotonin, so I cannot say. I'm not a brain specialist, but I, I will certainly say, look at your own child, right? If they're reading for a little bit, and then you're going to call them to dinner, 
versus a kid that's either on YouTube or gaming and you call them to dinner, there is a big difference, right? So you can just even see it that reading and and doing things on purpose, et cetera, that does have a more calming effect on a child than the passive screen watching that a lot of our kids are doing. And now a brief message from our sponsor. If you've hung around the Savvy Sauce podcast for long, you know how much we love counseling. That's because we believe it can be transformational, allowing you to live with freedom, clarity, and purpose. I may be biased, but I only recommend meeting with a Jesus follower who is professionally trained as a counselor. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about a safe, affordable, and online option. It's our sponsor, faithfulcounseling.com slash the savvy sauce. And when you sign up with that link, you will receive 10% off counseling for your first month. Many of our guests have gone to greater heights after meeting with their counselor. Other guests have talked about their marriage being revived or better understanding their past once they made the commitment to trust the process and meet with a counselor. Whether you are feeling stuck, sluggish, overwhelmed, or just proactively looking for a relationship tune-up, I would love to suggest this option for counseling. FaithfulCounseling.com slash The Savvy Sauce. From the privacy of your home and with absolute confidentiality, these licensed professional counselors are looking forward to meeting with you. You can speak with a licensed counselor through video calls, phone calls, real-time chat, and direct messaging. These counselors are professionally licensed, spiritually informed, and readily available. Again, I hope you look into your options today after visiting faithfulcounseling.com slash the savvy sauce and receive 10% off your first month when you sign up through that link. What is the hope for parents who are hearing this and realizing that their family needs to reevaluate their current relationship with technology? Yeah, earlier I talked about how that brain is forming till 25. So if you've got a child that is under 25, you still, you've got this. And Dr. Chapman, who co-authored this book, Growing Up Social, and we're actually working on a revision of this book for next year. So stay tuned with new statistics and different things. But I love what he says that you can begin when you realize we haven't quite done this right. Instead of saying, okay, I've listened to this amazing podcast, we're going to have some changes, and I'm going to take your phone out of your room so you can have a good night's sleep, et cetera, et cetera. You start with this apology that's like, you know what? I care about you so much. You were so important to me, and I have made a mistake. I've overlooked something because I didn't want to upset you, but I realize now that you having your phone in your room overnight is not good for you because you're not getting a good night's sleep. You're being interrupted by things, by texts in the middle of the night. Maybe it's too much of a temptation to have it close by. So I'm sorry that I have been lax in that. And I'm going to try to do my best to make that up to you. So I'm going to be collecting your phone and I'm going to be keeping it in my room for the rest of the year. So there's hope, right? It's like, okay, I've made a mistake, but there's hope. I can change this. I can fix this. Now, when your child hears this, they're not going to be like, game on, like, way to step up, mom, way to step up dad to the plate and, you know, really act like a parent. No, they're going to be like, you are the craziest, meanest parent on the face of the earth. And my friends are going to laugh at me. And how am I going to talk to my friends? And you're going to make life so hard for me. Why are you doing this? In that moment, you just say, you know what? I am doing the right thing 
for my child and I will stand on this decision. So those boundaries, I think, of keeping the phones out of the room, that is a huge thing because at best, your child is getting a text at 3 a.m. that's like, oh, was there chem homework yesterday? But at worst, they're looking at pornography. There's a child predator that's pretending to be a 14-year-old boy. Like, you just don't know. And so I think that's one way that you can remedy a lot of problems is by collecting that phone at night. And I think that's really helpful to hear it role played out. That's such a humble approach and very realistic that our kids, no matter what age they are, they will give yes. pushback. But something that my husband and I often talk about when we're facing a decision, it's usually you go from easy to hard or hard to easy. It's so true. And the second one of those just seems to be more amplified or has more significant impact, I guess. But if we do the hard thing now, I think it does pay off later and makes it easier. I will tell you that we did the hard thing, what was perceived to be the hard thing, which was video game, free household, no personal devices, no social media, things like this. And to be frank with you, because we started so early, even that didn't feel that hard, but I know it's perceived as being hard. But I tell you what, now that they're a junior higher and a high schooler, it's so easy. It's like, oh, I don't have to worry about who texts you in the middle of the night because you don't have a phone. I'm not taking you to a counselor for depression and anxiety because you don't have a social media account where you're comparing yourself to others all the time. Like you will get easy and you'll be like, oh, why did I do this sooner? This is awesome. So I do encourage you do the hard now and enjoy the easy later. Oh, that's a good word. And I know that discernment's going to be required for every family, but do you have any boundaries that are recommended for everyone? Yeah. We've talked about keeping those screens out of the bedrooms, keep the mealtime screen-free so there can be conversation. And, you know, just be looking, I think, for warning signs in your children. So if you see that your kids are changing, like their mood is changing, their schoolwork is changing, their friends are changing, they're acting weird, you know, go beyond the surface and see what kind of screen things have changed. Did we recently give them a phone? Did we recently let them go on social media? And just constantly be, be looking for those changes. And then obviously be prayerful and ask God that discernment, Holy Spirit, if there's something that I need to know about my children, that you will show it to me, that you will tell it to me. I had a mom say that she had prayed that prayer after her high schooler just got a phone and she prayed that prayer. And then one day the Lord told her, like, go in your son's room right now and look at his phone. And just like that, she went into, you know, she heard that, felt that in her heart. She took, looked at the son's phone and right then she saw this text from a girl who was like, oh, I want to meet you. And it was like, God totally told me to look at that. So, you know, trust in what uh, the Lord is doing in your life and in your kid's life more than you're trusting like all the best apps and all the monitoring programs, et cetera. But obviously be smart about what you're allowing access to as well. And you said that you're going to be releasing an updated version of the book, but Right now, could you just give us a brief lesson on how to apply these A-plus skills that you teach about? Yes. And the new book it will be called Screen Kids. It'll come out in the fall of 2020. It will just have new research in it, but it will also include these A-plus skills. And just think about your child and think if they had these skills, A, affection, they're able to give and receive love. 
A, appreciation. They know how to be appreciative instead of demanding and entitled. Anger management. They get angry, but they don't go crazy, and they know how to manage their anger. Apology. They're able to apologize when they mess up. They don't just shift the blame, and they're able to apologize to restore friendships and relationships. And then lastly, attention. They're able to pay attention to you, attention to God, attention to their third grade teacher, (laughs) so they're able to pay attention. So these are the A-plus skills that we really want our kids to learn, but technology will fight these skills. So for instance, the skill of attention. Ever since the cell phone came, they've seen a 40% drop in attention in kids and adults. And you can see why, because when you're on a device, you know, if you have to wait for anything, you're like, hey, why is this taking so long? It's like I ordered this on Amazon and it took more than two days to arrive to my doorstep. What's wrong? You know, so our attention is like we have this expectation that things will be instant and that we'll have a thousand choices, but that is not how life works. And so for kids, the more they're exposed to that in screens, the less they'll be able to pay attention when it's a lecture in school, when they're sitting in a sermon in church, things like that. So you need to slow things down so that their attention, that they will be able to pay attention in the places that it counts. Ooh, and let's cover anger that you mentioned as well, because that's a lifelong thing that they'll have to have self-control, not just when they're toddlers, but also when they're adults and they're handling their own children. So have you seen anything proactive with anger management that you would recommend? Yes. You know, there's something Dr. Chapman has a whole book on anger that you can look up and the whole book is on it. But he talks about how you can have these conversations when you're not angry (laughs) with each other and just say, you know what, sometimes mom and dad get angry and we need to learn how to better manage that. And then, you know, son, you can get angry and you can yell at us and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you can have these conversations before. And he talked about how you could write a little card, a little three by five card. And it says something like this. I'm feeling angry right now, but don't worry. I'm not going to attack you, but I do need your help. Is this a good time to talk? So it's just this idea that it's okay to say, I'm really angry, but can we talk about this? And so Dr. Chapman says you can write this card out beforehand so that when you do feel angry and you can't even talk, but you could just put the card in front of the person's face to basically communicate. I'm very angry, but I need to talk. And for kids, you know, they can either verbally lash out. So they're going to yell at you. They might cuss at you. They're going to you know, say all these awful things about you or behaviorally. They might like hit something, you know, knock something over, throw something down. And so, you know, you could have instead to tell your kids, okay, I can see you're very upset right now, or maybe you're, I'm very upset right now. So I'm going to step outside. I'm going to jog around the block. And then we're going to come back and talk about this. And that truly could be a solution for a lot of kids is just jog around our backyard and come back in and tell me what's wrong. Or go up to your room, scream inside your pillow, and then come back and talk to me about what's wrong. And just helping your child manage those angry feelings and then come back and get to the place where you can say, tell me what you're angry about. I am angry because. And then that child says it. I'm angry because you didn't let me play my video game. And then, okay, well, let's think about this. Was there a true injustice, you know, (laughs) or was this just a perceived wrongdoing? And kind of start sifting through what are the really righteous things to be angry about? Because the Bible tells us to be angry. But then what are those selfish things that we just have to say, okay, I got to let that go. And that's obviously a very complicated process, but it is something that you can start with your kids. I love everything that you just said in like, you mentioned teaching them the difference between righteous anger or in our anger 
when we are sinning. But you also mention in your book the importance of four categories that are downtime, restricted electronic use, physical exercise, and sleep. From your research, did you find any difference in children having downtime versus them having screen time? There wasn't necessarily a study that would compare, you know, this group of kids had downtime, this group of kids didn't. But there were many studies that praise unstructured play that, you know, nowadays you look at a child, they're in school and then they're at practice and then they're at home, then they're watching YouTube videos and they go to sleep and there's very little downtime for them. And even in the car, they're watching a a video in the van or something. There is all those studies that show that when a child has unstructured play, so this isn't like mom or dad saying, okay, you play the store owner, (laughs) you play the customer. No, this is, they are just alone and they can figure it out themselves that that is so good because they're they're learning how to negotiate with other people, how to use their imagination, how to be creative. And those things are super healthy. So when you have the choice between leaving your child alone, like, okay, you can get bored, but you know, just have some imaginary play. That's going to do their brain much better than if you're like, oh, you're bored. Okay. Why don't you just watch this video? If you're enjoying these episodes and want to keep the conversation going, or if you want to see and learn more about our guests, or if you just want to check out if we're offering any current giveaways, make sure you stop by our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram at The Savvy Sauce. Everything you're saying is just oozing with wisdom, so making it really practical Do you have any suggestions or recommended times for each of those activities for downtime, restricted electronic use, physical exercise, and sleep? You know, it's all, I want to say whenever you can fit it in. Now, sleep is the easy one. So you're shooting, you know, from nine to 11 hours. And so just whatever time you have to wake up, you just back time that nine to 11 hours. And then you say, okay, maybe 15 minutes before then we've got to start this whole bedtime ritual so that you're actually lights out by the, by that time. So sleep, that's a pretty easy ritual. So put that one in first. And then the physical activity, it just depends, you know, whether you have a child in school, whether you've got one in school and two at home or wherever you're at. So that is kind of like, where can we fit that in? And maybe it's 15 minutes in the day and then another 45 minutes somewhere else. Uh, for my kids, we've done it by them biking to school. So that became a very natural way for them to get their exercise and have that independence and gives them downtime between school and coming home. And so we, that's kind of how we rolled that off. All into one. And then I think you can examine your days because everyone's going to have a different schedule. So examine a day in your life. What's your rhythm? What's your child's rhythm? And then you'll start to see, oh, okay, 3.30 to 4.30. That's going to be a really good time for us to just say to the kids, hey, this is reading time. You can play. You can play outside. But don't ask us to do any electronics because this is your time to be creative. And as a parent, Be enthusiastic about whatever change you're doing. Because if you come into it with this attitude like, I guess we're supposed to do this. It's good for you. And I know you don't want to, but, you you know, that's not going to go over very well. (laughs) So you just have to sell it like, hey, we're going to do this new thing. It's going to be the fun hour. And during this fun hour, we're going to pull out this game and you guys are going to create or we're going to do this fun hour. And by next week, you guys are going to get us this idea for a business. And we're going to try to see if we can do some side business. You know, you just play with it depending on the age of your children, but try to sell that this new schedule or whatever it is you're trying to implement. 
There's this one verse that I've been reminded of a lot lately, and it's found in Luke 7, 35, and it says, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. And with that perspective in mind, that sometimes wisdom isn't seen until way later, what are some things that you did with your kids when they were little that you're now seeing the fruit or the benefit of, even though it may have been difficult at the time? Two things come to mind. One is being involved in church so that if your kids, when they're little, they're used to, hey, we go to church on Sunday and we don't just go to church like we serve when we can. And then we go to church on Wednesday so mom and dad can go to Bible study and the kids can go into the kids program. And then we did an after school Bible club at our public school once a week. And we still do that. So being involved in that way, then what that does is as your kids get older, that's very natural for them now to say like, oh, I love going to church or we go to church. It's not a question like, oh, it's Sunday. What should we do? <laughs> you know, you don't have to tell them you have to go out of bed. It's it's like it's there. It's it's ingrained and it's part of life. So I think being involved in church and I know when they're little, it can feel like, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> like it's so hard to get. It's so much easier to watch church on TV and be in your pajamas. But I promise you, if you will make the effort, of course, not when they're sick, but when they're well to go to church, that's going to pay off um, dividends. So go to church. And then the other thing is read books, really make books the cornerstone. Uh, when the kids, my kids were young, we did not have cable it was kind of the thing that we didn't have that. And, you know, the kids turned to books, we went to the library all the time, found books that they liked. And then as they're older, we don't pay them allowance for chores. We pay them to read books. So <laughs> there's like all these books on the bookshelf that we want them to read before they graduate out, whether it's about finances or studying the Bible or finding the right spouse or whatever. And these are not books that a high schooler would pick out on their own. <laughs> but when they say, oh, you can earn $30 if you read this book and you write a one-page book report about it, they'll be like, okay, I'll read your book. So that's one thing that we've done is instill a love for reading for when they're young. And then it's so wonderful as the kids are now 10, 13, and 15, spare time, they just grab a book and start reading. And they are looking forward to the books that they're reading. Oh, that is so clever. We will totally try that idea totally. in our household. <laughs> and Arlene, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go to find you online? Yes, you can go to my website, ArlenePelicane.com, and you can find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook chat there, and then Instagram, and then I also have a podcast called The Happy Home Podcast. Awesome. We will link to all of these things in our show notes and on our resources page. And I have one more question for you. We are called The Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so as my final question for you today, Arlene, what is your savvy sauce? So my savvy sauce, and it's kind of connected to what we've been talking about today, is no cell phones for the kids until they get their driver's license. And even that, and this is what's so funny, is I'm totally down for this. Like, okay, by the time my kid gets their license, I think that's fine. They can have a phone. My husband, because we're not of that age yet, we're one year away from this moment. And my husband's more like, eh, it's already working. I don't think we should mess with it. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But at least until your kid gets a driver's license. That has been our savvy sauce to not introduce a smartphone. That's awesome. Arlene, you are so kind and you're clearly an intentional and godly woman. I just want to say thank you for breaking down all of these concepts and giving us things to apply in our own lives. 
You are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.